Welcome to First Love Online Church with Nyral and O.C. Burnett. Flock is a ministry of First Love Fellowship whose mission is to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can support the mission of First Love Fellowship by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Prepare yourself for a good word today as Pastor Niro speaks on the Revelation Gifts. This is part of our Manifest Presence of God series, Part 4. Everyone, thank you for being with us with First Love Online Church. Um, I, I'm grateful to God that every Sunday we're able to get together and either live stream or record uh, what what God is, what's on God's heart this this morning. So, again, thank you so much. As you know, I'm Pastor Nyra Burnett, and uh, I will be teaching today for First Love Online Church. And just before we begin, if you would like to support the mission and vision of First Love Fellowship. You can do so right now uh, at www.wearefirstlove.com. Just click the giving link, and that would be wonderful if you could be able to support us in any amount. I just thank God for you, and uh, I look forward to all that he is about to do. So let's, let's start off with a word of prayer, and let's begin. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that, that you are faithful, that you are faithful and true, that, that forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven You don't change your mind. Your word doesn't come back to you void, but it accomplishes that which you please. So we submit ourselves wholly to that word. We submit ourselves wholly to everything that is about you. We give ourselves to you. Your word says that I I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, holy and acceptable unto God. And so today we, we, we choose not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds in Jesus name. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit has to say in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are on part four of the teaching on the manifest presence of God. And I I really do believe that right now, if you're a part of First Love Fellowship, I believe with all my heart that this here is going to be one of the most important teachings. What you've been hearing for the past three uh, 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 parts of this series, the manifest presence of God, what you've been hearing is going to be among the most important teachings you will ever hear at First Love Fellowship. And here's why. Uh, very often in a church at large, we've become expert at speaking about God, but novices at actually encountering the God of whom we speak. So we can quote scriptures, we can quote Bible verses, we can preach sermons even, we can do church attendance, we can do volunteer outreach efforts, all those different things. But unfortunately, you can do all those things without having God. Yes, you can pray without having God. And so, so as a result, we preach about this God, we pray to this God, we serve this God in various capacities, but so few actually engage this very God. So few actually really know this God. And I'm not, I'm not okay with that. 
I'm not okay with the fact that we as believers at First Love Fellowship can know so much about a God that we've not engaged. And so that's why we're speaking of the manifest presence of God. In the Old Testament, when men and women encountered God, it changed them. It did something to them from within their very being. It transformed them in such a way that they were never the same again. You can see the stories of people who fell as dead when they encountered this very God. When they came face to face with the Father, it was like something happened that shifted them completely. And so in the New Testament, it was no different. When you think of Paul on the road to Damascus, that's for the New Testament. In the Old Testament, think of Ezekiel. Think of Isaiah. People who were never the same when they, when, they, when they encountered God. And so the manifest presence of God, we studied this earlier, that God, of course, is everywhere. But God's manifest presence is that point in time in which God chooses to reveal himself to an individual. And in both Old Testament and New Testament, this was life-changing. Now, I'm not saying that all of us are going to experience God in his manifest glory right before us, right? I mean, I, I've never experienced what Paul experienced in On the Road to Damascus. I never experienced what, what, what Ezekiel or Isaiah experienced or Daniel experienced in their various prophetic encounters. What I'm saying, though, is that there's something about God, you know, that, that, that he seems to want to show himself to us. He seems to want to be revealed to us. And it's the, the, the very idea that we've not been in communication and in fellowship and in the very presence of this God of glory. It's not because he's hiding from us. It's because we have a tendency to hold back and hide from him. And that's the biggest problem in the church today is that none of us can find God. We all have our opinions about God. We all have our statements about God, but we don't see him. I think, you know, I remember the scripture, uh, I think it's in Mark, where, where the, the man comes to Jesus and says, I've done many wonderful works in your name, cast out demons. And Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Like you can be used of God, you can know about God, and yet still not know him. So something that we went over some time ago that I want to, to, to review really quickly. Number one, the Father, the Father, we're talking about the manifest presence of God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father brought governance and creation. You can see that in Exodus, Leviticus, you shall surely die in Leviticus. He says that a lot, right? Um, where, where governance is there. He's bringing law and order. Um, and, and, of course, he is the creator. So governance and creation comes from the Father. The Son, he brought glory and grace and truth. And you can see that in John chapter 1, 14 and 17. If you carefully read John chapter 1, you'll see there, there is too much depth about God to even be able to properly and completely interpret what's actually happening there. John chapter 1 is one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, but you'll see there all about the Son. You'll also see about the Son, a lot about the Son in Hebrews chapter 1, 2, and 3. All right, and then the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, brought gifts and power and revelation. 1 Corinthians 12, Acts 1, 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you'll see where the Holy Spirit did exactly that. And so, you know, God himself seems to want to manifest himself. Um, the problem isn't whether or not God wants to show himself. The problem is whether or not we want to show up. 
And so to review again, uh, we're going to go right to the scripture here. John chapter 14, verse 21. And John 14, 21 tells us this. Let me just get to it in my Bible here. John chapter 14, verse 21. And by the way, when we when we give these types of teachings, there is too much information that we're sharing for you to retain just by listening. So I'd like for us to begin this practice, right, of taking notes, writing things down as they're being taught. You know, often when, when, pe when people besides myself are teaching at First Love Fellowship, I'll just write some notes. I'll just write down what, what the Lord is saying through the person who's teaching. And so as a result, I'm able to go back to it again and actually review what was being said. And a lot of times I'll get something more from what was being said after the teaching is over. So I'm just asking, don't just listen to what we're saying. Uh, I would like for us to write things down and study and meditate on the word of God. John chapter 14, verse 21 says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He says he'll manifest himself. Now, what does it mean to manifest himself? Like that, that seems to, 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 it's a huge promise. And it's a promise that I think it's, it's worth it that we, that we actually take a, take a deeper dive into what's, what Jesus is saying when he says he's going to manifest. Now, when we talk about the manifest presence of God and the, the, the presence, we know that the presence simply means the face like like looking into his face that he wants to show himself to us all right now now in this scripture here the 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 greek word here gives the idea of to exhibit in person to disclose by words to appear declare plainly like to to, to signify and show like it actually means to show himself now what why would jesus say such a, an amazing promise then then judas he's listening right and judas says you know uh, lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world which means that there is a separation here the manifest presence of God is for the believer. This is why I was saying that there is something, there should be something about the church of God that we have that the world does not have. Something that we have that the world cannot replicate. The manifest presence of God is not something that the world can also have. Judas, remember, read the scripture. It says, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me. Now, the if anyone loves me is us, not the world. So there's the separation. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word and a father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, that's them, does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now, so we know that if we keep the commandments of God, if we're actually walking with him, 
This is the person that God chooses to show himself. So it seems that, again, God seems to hide himself behind the veil of sanctification. He hides himself behind holiness. If you're not living a holy, you won't see him. That's why, you know, when in our, in our unholy moments in life, the enemy, what he tries to do the most is he tries to make it so that none of this is real. It's like you, you may have, you may have a, a belief in God, but at your moment where you're being tempted to sin, the enemy will try to flood you with the idea that this is not real. As a result, the conviction does not come. See, like doubt, unbelief, all that comes in order to keep you away from the manifest presence of God. And still God has not changed. God still chooses to reveal himself only to those who have purified their hearts. And this is what's not attainable by the world. All right. Again, some supporting scriptures. Um, uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. Uh, Second Chronicles 16, 19. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. See, he's, he's looking for that. <coughs> And so as a result, excuse me, as a result, there's a certain posture we should have if we're expecting to, to walk with God in his, in his presence. It's Isaiah 59 that says, the Lord's arm is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. And he says, but your sins and iniquities have separated you from God. Like, we want the presence of God, but he's not an accessory that we use to feel good doing worship, right? Oh, I felt the anointing. Oh, I felt the presence. No, he wants us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he's not just looking for us when we're singing songs. He's looking for us while we're at work. He's looking for us while we're with our families or at home alone. He's looking for us at two o'clock in the afternoon, just like he's looking for us at two o'clock in the morning. God is not an accessory to feel good, to give us goosebumps. The Holy Spirit wants us to be holy. And so when we're holy, there is something about we, the church, that is different. That's not like anyone else in the whole world. And I'll tell you what, First Love Fellowship, I've learned having been in church now for 30 years of my life, 30 years. Most of the church needs to understand the idea of what it means to be truly holy, holy before him. Like this is what makes you stand out. And you're going to have to stand out even among church people. Just because people are from church does not mean that they are living a holy life before God. And over and over again, in my Christian walk, I had to learn that lesson I mean, repeatedly, not everyone who, is na who, who, who names the name of Jesus Christ is a holy person. And so there are many among us who will never inherit the kingdom of God because there are things they do that are unholy. Now, now, now I know we, we say, well, God makes us holy. It's not my works, things like that. So Galatians chapter 5 tells us this, 519. It says, now the works of the flesh are, are manifest. See, you can either have the presence of God manifest 
or you can have in your life the works of the flesh that are manifest. And it says here, the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variant, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, uh, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That means if you are a churchgoer, if you are a worship leader, the head usher, the head deacon, and you are indulging in lasciviousness, if you are, that word would, would transfer directly to pornography, fornication, if you are indulging in sexuality and inappropriate things, you will not enter in. You won't enter the kingdom of God. You won't see God. You won't see his presence when you need it. Now, I'm going to tell you what. It's not just sexual sin, but I like to focus on that because that's many of our problems. That many of us, that's the issue, right? But, but there are other things, right? There are, there are uh, heresies and there are witchcrafts and there are uh, other things such as strife and offense and anger and bitterness. That you, if you embrace these things, if you're ruled in the flesh, your carnal nature, if your carnal nature rules you, you can't see God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you, um, life at some point while we're having our party. At some point, life gets serious. Life gets serious to the point where we need him. At a certain point, while we're indulging in the flesh every now and then, while we're ignoring God, although he's calling us to himself on a constant, right? At some point in time, life does get serious where we really need God. So you can drink a little, do your whole club thing. You can do your whole fornication thing. And then Uncle Ernie has cancer. And you love Uncle Ernie. And now you're telling everybody, pray for Uncle Ernie. Because Uncle Ernie raised you and Uncle Ernie has cancer and Uncle Ernie might die. And now all of a sudden you become like a, 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 an evangelist, you know, and you're quoting scriptures and praying in the spirit. But listen, first of all, yes, it's true. God is not petty. That's not the issue. The issue is that your very soul is not in the place to sustain a spiritual life because you're too carnal minded. It's like having to play catch up with your Christianity as soon as it gets serious. This is where we have to be careful. That's why we can't be carnal because the enemy will make sure we get so carnally minded and so caught up in the world and then something real goes down and we're not in a spiritual place to handle it. We're not in a spiritual place to stand strong and the enemy's got us. Checkmate. Checkmate. Walk in the spirit. That's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to walk in the spirit. But now, my question with all that in mind, with walking in the spirit, like, like we just said, like something serious can happen. Uncle Ernie can have cancer. But there's other serious things that are happening now, like worldwide. Right? You read Matthew 24. It's like we're reading the newspaper. We already have wars and rumors of wars. Rumors of wars. We already have famines and pestilences and earthquakes in, 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 in different places. We already have these things. Right? See, see, most people don't get serious until the crisis actually knocks at their personal door. 
And then even then, when a crisis knocks on their personal door and things begin to go south, they begin to ask, where was God when this happened? And God is like, where were you when this happened? I remember when 9-11 happened, people said, where was God on 9-11? Well, all of New York City was walking in the flesh. People were, were, were doing whatever they wanted. No one wanted to pay attention to God. I remember the day. And so it's like when we ask where was God, it's like we, we forget that God is wondering where we are. He's looking for us. See, understand. God is interested in manifesting himself and showing himself to you. He is interested in it, but like, like what like as what like Isaiah says, right? Your your sin separates you from God. Now let's not look at that as just a vague thing. Like he literally says it separates you, which means that when you need God, you're not going to have them. Not because he's gone, it's because you're gone. All right. At Sinai, we talked about this. The manifestation of the Father brought terror and fear and distance. Okay. The manifestation of the Son brought grace and help. The manifestation of the Spirit brought gifts. So lately we've been talking about the different gifts of the Spirit. First, we talked about the power gifts. Those are the gifts that do something, healing, miracles, and faith. And oh my goodness, the past week we saw the manifestation of the Spirit in the form of those spiritual gifts right here at First Love Fellowship. You know, there were some of you that stepped out in faith in certain things, in faith, and, and you saw it happen. Um, you saw healing happen. You saw the acts of faith happen. I didn't hear any reports of miracles happening, but we did see some mighty things happen. So then we talked about the revelation gifts, and those are the gifts that reveal something. Now, the revelation gifts are word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. Those are the gifts that reveal something. Finally, which we won't be going over today, but we will next week, are the utterance gifts, and these are the gifts that say something. That's the gift of tongues with interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And so today we're going to talk about those gifts that reveal something. Now, with the revelation gifts, I, I noticed that at First Love Fellowship, those revelation gifts flow forward powerfully. Um, I, I've seen it many times here at First Love, and I, I love it. But before we dive too deep into those revelation gifts, I want to talk about a, a little, uh, before we dive right into revelation gifts, we got we to gotta lay out some, some standards by which those gifts can operate. Because if you're going to operate in spiritual gifts, you yourself have to be a spiritual person. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if you're going to be a living sacrifice before God, you cannot be conformed to the world. What does that mean? Conform to the world. It means, <coughs> it means that you've chosen not to be like the world. When you're conforming to the world, it means that you've chosen to be like the world, like you want to be more and more like the world in your deeds, in your culture, in your speech. Like, like the scripture says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And we've got Christians that can cuss like sailors 
Now they speak in tongues at church, but at work they cursing. That 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 must not be so. Our language must not be like the world. Our our culture must not be like the world. Our ways have to be different in a way that makes us that makes us stand out where we're not like everybody else. We must be different. So if we're going to be a living sacrifice, we cannot conform to the world. So so true spirituality then um, begins. It begins with denying yourself. It's governed by love. But the on the ground practical application of spirituality, it starts with self-denial again and write this down. It is governed by love. That's the greatest commandment. You cannot be spiritual without love. This ought to be the driving force of your life. It is the love of God that is the driving, governing force of your life. Like Ephesians says, we then being rooted and grounded in love. So that that should be the governing force. But the practical application of true spirituality begins with self-denial, which means that we should be people of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. We should be people who spend our time in the Word of God. That ought to be a, a constant part of our lives, or you won't grow. You won't grow. And then when the answer that you need needs to come, it won't come. Or if your whole world falls apart, you won't endure through it. Your faith will be on the line. You'll be asking, where was God when this happened? And you're ready to walk away from God. It's because your foundation was no good. Because you weren't living a life of self-denial. Self-denial looks like this, but where Paul says to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what it looks like. Like when he says, you know, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I, I, for, I, I forget those things which are behind and, and, and press forward to those things which are before me, right? I, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Nothing matters except the mission of Christ. I don't live for myself. I don't live for my own prosperity. I live for the mission of Christ and that alone. A lot of people are afraid of that. Because the devil has caused them to believe that if they truly give over their entire agenda to Jesus, that it's going to somehow ruin their lives. Jesus said, he that loves his life, he that loves his life will lose it. Don't let the devil convince you that if you give all to Jesus, that your life is ruined. As though Jesus lacks something that this world has to offer. There's no lack in the kingdom of heaven. There is righteousness. There's peace. There's joy in the Holy Ghost. Listen, the world can't match the joy that the kingdom of God brings. But the broad way of this world has captured the minds of far too many believers and they are headed toward that way of destruction. And it's like being on a river, a raging river. I remember going to the Niagara Falls years ago and we were walking in the, 
aside the river that leads to the falls and I could see how the waters just rush so quick, quickly and violently and there's signs that are put up that say at this point if you're in the water you're going to go over the falls and you're going to die and there's too many of us right now in a body of Christ. We're in the broad way of the world. And if you spend too much time there, if you remain in that river, those currents are going to take you to a place that you cannot take yourself out of. I am telling you, friend, friend of God, come out of the current of the world. Come out of the broad current of the world. It may seem fun right now to indulge in sin. It may, it may seem fun right now to have sin in your life. But let me tell you something. The truth is that sin has you. And, it's too, and by the time you realize sin has you, it's too late. It's too late. The road leads to destruction. Don't go to hell by way of first love fellowship. Don't be a part of this church and still you go to hell. Although you're getting clear warning, be holy before God as he is holy. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for stepping on your feet. I want to. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says this. It says, I, I, I keep my body under sub, uh, uh, subjection. And one translation says, I buffet my body. I, I keep my body under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, myself, I myself will become a castaway. 1 Corinthians 9.27. We do a lot of preaching. I think we should do a lot of preaching. I don't know where the devil came in and, and told everybody that being preachy was wrong. You know, they say, don't be preachy. I, I even heard somebody say the other day, uh, you know, they were like, man, I, I, I like when a preacher just shares the word. I hate when they get preachy. I hate when they raise their voice and get preachy. And I'm like, well, didn't Jesus say go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Um, you know, no. And I'm talking about, yeah, I, I, I like when they preach. I, I like when they scream preach. If they got to get emotional, get emotional. Fine. But after you've preached, make sure that you keep your own body under subjection. Make sure that you are in holiness. And so the beginning of, of, of spirituality, the beginning of spirituality is self-denial. Now, number two, if you're going to be spiritual, you must be one who is willing to suffer. Yes, to suffer. Romans 8, 17 says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, I quoted that off the top of my head. I'm just going to go to the scripture and make sure I'm quoting it right for you so that you, you, you who are taking notes take accurate notes. Yeah, you see, I quoted 8.18. Let's read, start at 17. It says, and if children, then heirs. Well, let's start at 16. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, in the Western world, we can't, we, we can't relate to suffering because we're not under persecution. 
I beg to differ. I beg to differ. See, we are called to suffer. But the suffering that we're speaking of is not only the persecution that we endure. Suffering leads to glory. But suffering looks like this. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 uh, I think says it well let me just go there real quick I know we're going through a lot of scriptures and I'm so glad we can go from one scripture to the other we're going to have scripture scripture salad we're just going to have scripture everywhere Philippians chapter 3 it says here oh one page back it says here Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, when we read of sufferings here, Paul is not talking about persecution. What he is talking about is his alignment with the mission of Christ that is so deep that it causes him to suffer. So, for example, you want to suffer? Go on a fast. You want to suffer? Let's do all night prayer. This is the fellowship of suffering. This is when you deny yourself to the point that your body and your carnal desires suffer. It's when you are now doing things that you don't want to do. Remember, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Self-denial is the first step. That self-denial part has to do with like not doing the things that your flesh wants to do. Take up your cross is doing the things that your flesh does not want to do. So if you're going to suffer, what that means is that you're going to now begin doing the things that your flesh does not want to do. And it's a, it's a huge thing for the Christian walk. If you're not suffering, if you're not deliberately suffering, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. And the reason why this is hard in a Western world is because we live in a culture of indulgence. So what's for breakfast? Oh, bacon and eggs with sausages and toast. What's for lunch? Oh, we're going to have a, a, you know, a wonderful, some, some, some hot wings and some French fries. Okay. What's for dinner? Oh, we're going to have a medium rare steak and some potatoes. That's indulgence. There are people in a world who have no choice but to suffer. But under the right circumstances, they would choose not to. So just because suffering has come upon you doesn't make you more spiritual. It's not the suffering that comes upon you that makes you more spiritual. It is the suffering that you actually choose to do. Then you're getting somewhere. See, you, you know, there are people in a world today who are not going to eat all day because they have no choice. But if you go on a fast all day today, you've chosen to suffer. Those two things are different. So if we're going to be spiritual people, we must choose suffering and Christianity was never meant to allow space for an easy life. I think that's what a lot of our young people look for, you know, the 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 best pathway to an easy life. 
you know, we want to make the more money. We want to get the nice house, the nice stuff, right? We want the easy life. But even in your best efforts at an easy life, life will not be easy. And if you are going to walk in Christ, the godly shall suffer persecution. You're going to. So I would dare say, don't seek out an easy life. Seek out a holy, holy life. And this is where we miss it. We take that path. And what I mean by holy life, because everybody's like, well, what can't I do? No, let's try this. What can you do with a holy life? Just really quickly, I'm going I'm to take a quick uh, detour. Because it, I find it interesting about God's holiness that there are ways in which his holiness is best expressed. Like, you know, often we say that God's holiness is his, his, his means of being other than, like, like other than us. He's holy. He's separate. Um, and, and there's some truth to that, but that is far from complete. And the reason why I say that is because if God is other than man um, in his holiness, in his defining of his holiness, then he says, be holy as I am holy. So like, what, what are we other than? Right. Like we, we're 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 men and God charges all people be holy as I am holy. So the 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 most clarifying um, and I, I can't dive. Comp- I, I will dive into this soon, but the most clarifying definition of God's holiness, the, the, the deepest means by which God expresses his holiness is not in his being other than. It's not in his being separate. God's holiness is best defined in his self-giving love. His holiness is defined and and, and acted by his self-giving love. Let's never forget that. If you want to experience the fullness of God's holiness, what you're going to experience is the fullness of God's love. And so, if he then says, be holy as I am holy, and we're to enact that, well, that's something we can do as people by his own ability, by the Holy Spirit. We can actually function and act out of love. And that is the greatest commandment. Why would he say, why would he say um, like, like the, the defining characteristic of God is that he's holy, but he gives us the command to be something else? No, he, he, God is love. He's commanding us to walk in love. He, the, the, love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those, that's the greatest commandment. But it's also the means by which he expresses his holiness. The first mention of holiness is in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is at the burning bush. And God is like, you're, the place you're standing is holy ground. Like all throughout Exodus and Leviticus, things are holy. But then he goes on in that same set of verses to say, I've heard the cry of my people, right? Like he starts speaking love language. I have come down to deliver them. And so let us remember that God's expression of his holiness is his love. And listen, church, this ought to be what we're expressing, self-giving love. It's what we're called to. All right. So Christian growth, listen, Christian growth depends on how we end our relationship with our carnal nature. Because our carnal nature, it fights against this idea of walking with God in holiness. It, it says in scripture that our carnal nature is, an, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Romans chapter 8. All right, so if you're fearful, 
That's carnality. If you're proud, that's carnality. If you're angry all the time, right? If you have outbursts of anger, that's carnality. If you're lusting all the time, if you're sex, hypersexualized, then you're, you know, that, that is all carnality. It's feeding into your carnal nature. And, and if there's anything that your life is attached to that feeds into your carnal nature, let it go. Let us dethrone the flesh in our lives, in how we eat, how we dress, our social life, our, how we handle money, our entertainment, our pursuits, our emotions. If the carnal nature rules these things, we will not grow. We will not experience the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. And all we will have left is an expression. You know, in a charismatic movement, they say, oh, the charismatic expressions. Listen, if it's the Holy Spirit, it's not an expression. It is a life-giving reality. Some of us imitate tongues. We don't speak with tongues. We imitate tongues. Many of us, we imitate worship. We don't really worship. We just try to fit in with the culture around us. It's a form of godliness, but it has no power. Just like the scripture says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. I hope this brings conviction to you. Because you know what? I can't, I, I, you know, you, you know when you're praying, You know when you're praying or being used in the, the, the ministry, you can have talent but not have power. You can have articulation but not have power. You can have skills but no power. The spiritual gift, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, later on in a chapter, it speaks of administration. But you can administer without power or you can administer as a spiritual gift. But too many of us are carnal. And like Romans 8 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen, if we are to operate in real power, in real signs and wonders, then we must end the reign of our flesh. We must have a life of self-denial. And we must have a life of deliberate and willful suffering. That word suffering, when you look at it in Greek or even in Latin, it goes back to the word where we get the word passion. And it's, it's, it's sad because there's so much of the church now. We have this form of godliness, but we don't have passion. We don't have passion. Passion is, in, by definition, in English, the willingness to suffer. The willingness to suffer. People say, I would die for God. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you getting in a situation where you get killed for Jesus. Nope. When I talk, when we talk about dying for God, I mean, will you actually go on a fast when no one tells you to? Will you actually spend that time in the word of God, learning of him, giving your life to learning of him, reading that word until your eyes go dry and you fall asleep at three o'clock in the morning? Will you deny yourself to the point where you love somebody who has offended you? If it almost seems like a guarantee that you won't get caught, will you still deny the lust of your flesh? That's right, you who are alone, sitting alone with your telephone and nobody can see you. Will you still deny the lust of your flesh? That's what I'm talking about. 
Are you really passionate about Jesus? Or are you just making believe because everybody around you wants you to actually be passionate about Jesus? Is this real to you? Or is it fake? It says here in my notes, it says, we must ask God to take away the influence and power of the flesh. Christianity holds little value to people. It makes it easy to walk away. Christianity holds little value to people because it costs them so little. There are some of us, our Christianity didn't cost us anything. It cost us little. Maybe you've been in church for the past 20 years and never really presented yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It cost you nothing. It was David who said, I will not offer to God something that cost me nothing. Your Christianity costs you so little, like you're still having sex outside of marriage and going to church. Well, your Christianity didn't cost you anything. You're still cussing up a storm, although you still go to church. Well, your Christianity did not cost you anything. You're still drinking and partying. <clears throat> well, then, your Christianity did not cost you anything. You're still looking at pornography on your cell phone. Well, then your Christianity did not cost you anything. You're still spending five hours a day on social media and not praying. Well, your Christianity did not cost you anything. And so you don't see value in it and then wonder why God did not answer your prayer. Wonder why you're not walking in power. Wondering why the authority of Jesus' name cannot get those demons out of your mind. See, the Christianity has to cost you. That's the key. It's got to cost you. And it's got to cost you, friends, everything. You are a living sacrifice. The flesh that once ruled your life, it says, present your body a living sacrifice. You are dead to sin, according to Romans chapter 6, and alive to God. That's where we have to go. But when we go there, it says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to profit everyone. Like he wants to manifest himself to you. He wants to show himself to you. And it says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, we talked about the power gifts that he gives. And this is to those who have made their lives hidden in God in Christ. But now we've got these revelation gifts, the word of wisdom. Now, the word of wisdom is the supernatural revelation of a naturally unattainable instruction. It is wisdom from above that is communicated to those who need to know what to do without any knowledge or insight of a given situation. The word of wisdom operates in such a powerful way. Word of wisdom would be like Noah and the ark. Like God tells Noah to build an ark. That's wise. That's the, that's the wisdom. Build an ark. Why? Noah has no clue that it's going to rain. Noah has no clue what rain looks like. You mean water falling from the sky? Build an ark. What was there? Like, like he says, build an ark to a person that never saw rain before. That's the operation of the word of wisdom. And so Noah responds, of course, to that. 
But that's an example of what I'm giving you now. In a New Testament setting, a word, a word of wisdom, it's supernatural in nature. It is not natural wisdom. There are some people who are very wise, very smart, um, but the word of wisdom is not that. The word of wisdom is supernatural wisdom. So where, where, where you're going to give instruction that you cannot have possibly known in the natural. And so there are many people who flow in this word of wisdom. Another example of the word of wisdom is when people interpret dreams. Um, like Daniel uh, he, who, or, or, or Joseph, who interpreted dreams in the Old Testament, where they operated in the word of wisdom, where they were able to interpret and decipher what the symbolisms and so on of those dreams meant and what those things represented. Well, that's supernatural wisdom because it spoke to things that neither Joseph or Daniel should have naturally known. So Joseph will say, you know, get, get ready. There's a famine coming. There's a famine coming. He's interpreting a dream and he says, there's a famine coming. Let's get ready. See, that's, that's the word of wisdom. And so this is one of the gifts of the spirit where God will give supernatural instruction of something God knows is coming that he reveals to his servant and his servant will declare instructions as to what to do about something that has yet to occur. The word of wisdom. It's like it gives you a foot forward on, on what is about to happen. And that, that's what happened with Noah. He had a foot forward, right? Like the rain started falling and he had a whole ark prepared. Now, the unwise who didn't listen to him, they, they were out there just living life as they normally would, like marrying and giving in marriage and partying, whatever they're doing. But Noah was building an ark. The thing about the word of wisdom is this. Woe unto the person who responds to the word of wisdom too late. Because when calamity comes, like there are things you should have already done by then that you, you, you need to do, uh, that, that you needed to do. And if you did not do them, um, you're going to suffer the consequences that the word of wisdom warns you of. And so this is a spiritual gift in the New Testament. This is a spiritual gift to the church. First love fellowship. And, and, and you know, I said this last week when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts are given to profit everyone. You know, when you look at 1 Corinthians, it says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to profit everyone or to profit with all. And it says it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's, it's important that we understand that in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Like it's speaking to everyone, which means that all of us can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But there are, again, we talked about it now for the past 30 minutes. I'm not going to get into it again. But there are qualifiers to operating in the real gifts of the Spirit. We must be holy. We must live lives of self-denial. We, we, we must take up our cross and follow Him, right? We must be willing to suffer. If you want your gift to develop and grow. Some of you have kind of a gift. It's kind of a gift, but you're not fully yielded to God. And so you don't really see the manifestation of that gift yet. So that very often, like worship leaders may have a very strong, um, a very strong uh, prophetic gift. But, you know, and it, they kind of see it, but because their vessel is not yielded, they never really get to see the fullness of it. And then worship leaders, I'm going to tell you, uh, you got to be more than just singers. Singers and instrumentalists, you know, like that, that's not what God was, was intending. There's, there's much more to this than that. So... Uh, anyway, it's, it's given the manifestation of the Spirit to profit everyone. All right, 
Word of knowledge. Another revelation gift. These are gifts that reveal something. The word of wisdom reveals something to come and what we must do. Something to come, what we must do. Word of knowledge is different. The word of knowledge reveals facts that are unattainable to the one ministering. It makes that one ministering the word of knowledge able to see things that to you, concerning you, that you know they should have never known. Now, this one gets deep because it'll, it, you know, word of people who operate in the word of knowledge will get into your stuff and not even know they're getting into your stuff. Again, this is not natural knowledge. The word of knowledge is not just that you're smart. Remember, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? There's smart people in the world. That doesn't mean they have the word of knowledge. There's wise people in the world. That does not mean they have the word of wisdom. These are spiritual gifts. That's where a lot of cessationists get it wrong. Like, because they, they, they take these spiritual gifts and they transfer it over to kind of a, a, an earthly, natural interpretation where they say, well, word of wisdom is well, people have, have wise advice. And word of knowledge, well, people who kind of go to school, they get really smart. And, you know, tongues, well, that's when you go and you learn different languages to preach the gospel. No, all those things are things the world can do. The spiritual gifts are manifestations to us and not to the world. So word of knowledge. This is not necessarily a future tense thing. The word of knowledge is a gift that speaks to the present unknown realities that can only be revealed by God. So I have in my notes here Ananias and Sapphira, right, where they kept back part of the money. And God gave Peter the word of knowledge and he showed him what, what was going on here. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? See, I want to tell you something about word of knowledge. You better be careful with people who work, who operate in this gift. Because with the word of knowledge, God will show a person your sin. They say, well, my sin is under the blood. Well, no, it's not. Not if you're doing it. You're sinning under the blood. Your sin is under the sheets. You got to get that right. And a word of knowledge comes where God will show someone you under the sheets. Or God will show someone, you, indulging in sin when no one is looking. This is the word of knowledge. God will cause a person to know you. And see, with Ananias and Sapphira, God caused Peter to know what they were doing. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the land? Um, and, and, you know, he goes on and then what, what happens? Um you know, he, he, he holds on to his lie and it says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. And great fear came on those that heard these things. See, the word of knowledge will reveal things. What's, what's, what's amazing about this word of knowledge here in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit killed someone. You see that? The Holy Spirit Acts chapter 5, I'm not misinterpreting this. The Holy Spirit killed someone. In fact, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter, oh, where is it? I'm, I'm going to, oh, wow, it's right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about the Lord's Supper. 
It says here, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. it says, For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, taking communion, right? But in sin, taking communion in sin. And it says, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many are dead for taking communion unworthily. For, for partaking in a Lord's Supper and in sin. Word of knowledge is a powerful thing, but I want us to understand. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, it revealed they were in sin and the Holy Spirit killed them. And that's backed up by 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here, 11.29. I dare you to try and interpret it and, and act like it says something else. It does not. It says exactly what it says. So I think we've just, to encourage you this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit kills people. Um, okay, so discerning of spirits, the next spiritual gift. Discerning of spirits. Now, a, a little bit about discerning of spirits. It's different from the word of wisdom and a word of knowledge as it is, it, it's, it's focused on the spirit world. Um, and again, this is not just natural human discernment. We all have some ability, I hope so, well, maybe some of us don't. I've known some people, but some of us don't have any discernment. I know, but we, we most of us have an ability to discern people, human discernment. Um, you know, it's not it's not instinct. Um, this is where you see and hear in the spirit realm, no matter what is happening before your eyes. So with this gift, motives, agendas, and even the type of spirit in operation can be exposed so that the minister of this gift can know what to do. Now, I know this gift very well because when you uh, operate in deliverance, you really, discernment of spirits is huge. You have to know what spirit you're operating, what, what, what spirit you're operating in and what spirit you're dealing with especially in a, in a deliverance situation because a person can be smiling in your face and saying, I'm free, I'm free, but they're not free. There's a spirit speaking through them that wants you to stop doing deliverance, that wants you to stop praying. See, so discernment of spirits will be able to tell if that person is operating in a demonic spirit. It'll also tell you what type of demonic spirit they're operating in. So the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what is in that person. When a person has discernment of spirits, they can read all through you and what you're, what you're walking in. So you can, you can put on your mask and make believe, but the discernment of spirits gift rips the mask off of your soul. Where that person who operates in that gift will be able to see everything you're walking in, even though you're doing your best to conceal it. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not as blind as you think to a lot of things. There are things I see about some people and I haven't said a word. There are things I've seen about people. I haven't said a word because I know I'm going to preach about it. And I hope to God that you hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Because because the, the discernment of spirits gift will cause that person who, who operates in that gift to be able to see what you are trying to display before everybody. Like it's like, no, 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 no. I, I see the real story about your soul and it's something else. And 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 so, you know, you, you can see like the 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 Acts chapter 16 girl um who who's she's following Paul 
And she's saying, these men are servants of the most high God who show us the way of salvation. And, you know, she's screaming and hollering this as she's walking. Right. And 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 Paul is 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 going on and on. And and this woman is screaming, these men are servants of the most high God, which show us the way of salvation. And so finally, Paul, Paul, he gets tired of it. Right. And, and he, he says, it says he's being grieved and he turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Now, listen, so many, so many ministers of the gospel today, they would have put her on their mailing list. They'd have given her a business card. They would have invited her to the next conference because she's giving them hype. These men are servants of the most high God. Like, yes, yes, I am. But Paul saw through what she was saying on the outside and dealt with the spirit that was on the inside, regardless of what she was saying. And so he turns around and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. You'd think like she was giving them a compliment. It's not like she was following them and saying, these men should die. No, she's saying the right words. But Paul saw the spirit. Let that be a lesson to the church. There are people who operate in the, the gift of discernment of spirits. While you are saying the right words, they are seeing the spirit. They are seeing in a spirit where those words are coming from. And you're not tricking anyone. The one who operates in the discernment of spirits gift, they cannot be easily tricked. So these revelation gifts are gifts that reveal something and they are part of the reason, the part of the way in which God intends his church to operate. And these gifts, again, I want us to remember this. Anytime you see something about the gifts of the spirit in scripture, right? It's, it's love. Love ought to be the governing force behind everything we do. Love should govern us. So when you operate in the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or the word of discerning of spirits, Remember to allow that to be governed by love. Don't allow your discernment, don't allow your word of wisdom and word of knowledge to produce a judgment against someone. Because you can have the, the gift of discerning of spirits and discern offense on someone or discern lust on someone or, or discern any kind of demonic presence on someone. But still, that doesn't cancel out your, your call and your charge to love people. We have to do that. God doesn't give us spiritual gifts so we can learn how to judge people, right? He gives us spiritual gifts so we can learn to love people. So whenever you have something revealed to you uh, by way of the Spirit, you ought to ask yourself or ask the Lord, Lord, how do I love this person? Because really, the person that is trapped up in a demonic spirit, such as a lying spirit or a spirit of offense, they're, they're, they're suffering also. They're, they're suffering. A person who has a, a draw to the, the world and a demonic draw to the world, they're suffering also. They have no control. And so we then have to step in using the spiritual gifts. It's almost like jarring them awake, you know, and, and making them see if but for a moment so they can have the opportunity to repent. And these gifts of the Spirit, they do indeed lead people to repent of their sins. That's why God shows. He like gives so many warnings to repent, to turn to God. I do believe that, um, you know, if we're going to operate in these gifts, it, it should cost us something. Like 
We can't preach to others and then we ourselves become castaways. We can't operate in the gifts of the Spirit and then we ourselves don't operate according to the Word. We can't be castaways. So let's be sure that if we're going to operate in revelation gifts or the power gifts, that, that, we, that we humble ourselves before God, that we walk in love, that we walk in compassion, and make sure that we ourselves are living according to the dictates of the Word of God. I am calling you First Love Fellowship to holiness. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I may not have the biggest audience in the world. Not now and maybe never. But those who hear me now, I need you to hear me. Be holy before God. And the ultimate expression of holiness, God's holiness, is indeed self-giving love. Be holy before God. Love people. Pour out to people. Listen, you know, if someone offended you, if, 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 you, if someone says something to you that can be taken in more than one way, take it in a way that doesn't offend. Right? Jesus even said if someone slaps you on a cheek, offer them the other one. Self-giving love is something that's a sacrifice. But it's a sacrifice that leads to life. And it leads to being able to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to do that. I want you to do that. But I'm, I'm going to tell you just a little bit of um, practical application here. If you have the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or, or even prophecy, right? Um, if you're holding offense in your heart or lust in your heart or something, that demonic presence is going to filter whatever you do in the spirit. That's why if you, that's why, that's why we shouldn't just let people lay hands on us because you, I don't want nobody laying hands on me that, that, you know, is in unrepentant sin. Cause I don't want what's in them to jump on me. Like no, only holy people, only holy people get to do this laying on of hands. That's why I'm telling you, don't just let everybody put their hands on your forehead and speak into your life. No, no, no. They must be holy. They must be holy. You must, you, you, they, they must be holy. I don't care if brother is a guest minister who came from out of town. They've got to be holy. They've got to be holy. And it is demonstrated through self-giving love. If you see chest puffing and pride and all that arrogance and all that coming out of that minister, nope, you're not laying hands on me. Sorry, there's got to be love. There's got to be compassion. There's got to be something about you where I can see the love of God. But if all I see is grandstanding and arrogance and, and you know, such like, listen, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to let you lay hands on me. I don't care if you call me from the audience. You over there in the third row with the blue shirt on. Nope, you're not laying hands on me. That's how serious we have to take this. Be very careful. Um, you know, the, the scripture tells us this. Uh, I think it's second, it is Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, let me get to my tables doing something interesting here. Um, second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that, that you know, people operate in, in, in the, the Antichrist spirit, operates in signs and lying wonders. So just because you see signs and wonders does not mean that the Holy Spirit is in operation. The devil allows it to imitate spiritual gifts to the point where it's like he will cause things to grandstand themselves uh, 
um, to masquerade just so that you can get into deception. That's his goal. But if your spiritual gift is not leading you to walk in love, if the gift that's being used in order to minister to you is not leading you to serve Jesus and walk in love and, and walk in the fruit of the spirit, then reject it, reject it. If somebody said they want to lay hands on you to transfer their prophetic anointing so you can walk in power, uh, uh, you know, and there's no love language in there and there's no serving Jesus language in there, reject that. What was, wasn't it Simon the Sorcerer, right, who said he was going to give some money to the apostles um, so, they can, so he can get this gift where people can receive the Holy Spirit, right? And Peter said, your money perish with you, right? Like, I'm going to reject that too. If people involve money in the use of spiritual gifts, like give me $500 and I'll give you a prophecy. Nope. Reject that person. Slap them and then reject them. No, don't slap them. But like you don't want, but you want to, right? Um, no, do not fall for the trick of being duped out of money in exchange for a prophecy. That is the devil. I don't care what they say. I don't care how they explain themselves. That is the devil. And they are of the devil. And they are hell bound unless they repent. And I mean repent in sackcloth and ashes and get out of the ministry. Yeah, get out. Like you, you're, you're, you're doing sorcery, get out of the ministry. Repent with sackcloth and ashes and become brother so-and-so instead of apostle prophet so-and-so for a good long season until you are restored. You never receive prophecy or prayer for healing in exchange for money. That is of the enemy. So, and, and, you know, just, just one more thing, like, while it is true that the gifts of the Spirit are often manipulated, um, let's not reject them outright because there are people out there who operate in, actually operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. They are operating in the gifts of God, and it's real. So we can't summarily reject the gifts of the Spirit Although we know that there are some people out there with these lying wonders and they do need to stop. Now, let's remember the revelation gifts. They are word of the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. These are the gifts that reveal something. You may be a person who wants to operate in these gifts. I won't go over the whole thing again, but you know what you have to do. You've got to be holy before God, right? And there are certain deliberate steps and things you have to take, which we've already talked about. Um, walk in those things. Next week, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. These are the gifts that say something. And these are powerful gifts in the body of Christ that we must not ever neglect. Um, I, I, I can't wait to get into this because it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot to say about this. But uh, until then, we, we'll, we'll, we'll just be studying your notes right throughout the week so that you know the, the, the different gifts of the Spirit and what they cost. Um, one, one thing that about cost, if you may be a person right now listening who has not paid that price, who has not paid the cost to, to really walk with that, with the Lord in that full life, that Zoe life. Um, today is your opportunity to repent before God. Present your bodies according to Romans chapter 12, verse one, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Some of you are secretly backslidden and you're sitting right in church, right in church. Some of you are confused in your mind. 
confused in your heart and your mind. Some of you don't even know what growth looks like because you've not submitted yourself to God ever. You've not even began the journey of growth. You've only been in church for 20 years. Today, today is the day to present your body a living sacrifice before God. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to, to stand before God and repent of the sins of your own life. And if that's you, I want you to do that today because it is urgent. It is urgent for you. Um, yes, I'm beating up on you some a little bit. You know, you feel like the word may be beating up on you. I'm glad and I don't apologize and I don't apologize for lifting up my voice either. Um, that's what preachers do. Preachers scream because folks don't listen. <laughs> but anyway, um, thank you so much for, for, for joining us at First Love Online Church today. Um, we have a lot, a, a lot more to cover, but we're going to finish it up next week. Um, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to surrender your life to him. No excuses. Give your life to him today. There's the, the, the time is short. Um, your time may be even shorter. So please give your life to Jesus today by praying a prayer and, and, and presenting your body a living sacrifice before God. Talk to God and accept and receive Jesus Christ into your life. Allow his grace to overflow you. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray for the people of God. I pray, Lord God, that, that, that your kingdom come, that your will be done. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you open up our eyes so that we might actually walk in the Spirit, that we might be people who actually live spiritual lives and not just lives of, of carnality where we make believe we're spirit in the presence of other people. Let us not have a form of godliness but deny the power. Let us actually have the power. Let us have the actual godliness and the actual power. And I pray in Jesus' name, O oh God, for First Love Fellowship, that, Lord, we be an authentic church that truly loves you, a group of people, a group of disciples, oh God, that run after you, that seek your face more than churchgoers. Oh God, let us be disciples in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to remind us also to be sure to give um, in the First Love Fellowship and into the mission of what we do, winning the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can support the mission of First Love Fellowship at www.wearefirstlove.com. That will uh, bless you. Your giving will bless you and increase you, and your giving will be like your prayers, set up as a memorial before God. Amen. Thank you so much, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. Your generous support enables us to continue to fulfill our mission to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can offer additional financial support by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Always remember your first love.